1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition. Over 125 years ago, the Columbian Exposition was staged in Chicago on Lake Michigan's shoreline. Visitors from around the country and world were first introduced to many industrial technologies and commercial offerings that would shape 20th century culture. This book explores a collection of event photographs and juxtaposes them against a set of modern images to catalog the living remnants in art and architecture around the city as a legacy to the 1893 World's Fair. 1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition, now available from Amazon. Audiobook version available soon. Hello and welcome to Party Line Chat. My name is Michael Finney. Got a good group of folks hanging out today. We are doing the program. Hello, Nashimoto. Uh, I'm going to kick it over to the guests. They are welcome to introduce themselves. Some, some names you know, they're returning back again. Hey, uh, I guess I'll go first. I'm uh, Mike in Space, a uh, Bitcoiner. I'm on Twitter at Mike in Space, and um, I used to do a little program called Bitcoin Car Talk, and now I just kind of tweet all day. Why did you get to go first? There was a there was a big pause, so I figured I might as well. <laughs> I'm uh, Adam Sussman, at Adam Sussman on Twitter. Uh, I'm in the uh, financial space world. Uh, was early in the crypto community and sort of semi-famous in financial Twitter, but I have a small enough file following where you probably wouldn't believe that. John, why don't you introduce yourself now? Yeah, so uh, I'm John, John Goulson. Um, I run a Nashbot at famous underscore ideal on Twitter. Um, my kind of background is financial services, or was, and I kind of fell into Bitcoin about 2015 um, and got interested in the Nash angle to Bitcoin and what it is, where it came from, etc. So, yeah, so that's me. You're hard to understand with your accent. I'll translate a little bit. So, John... <laughs> You know what? Uh, Canadians have accents too, and if that's where you guys want to start the program, that's fine. No, we are the <laughs> we are the language. Okay. <laughs> so John writes um, about Nash's work, Ideal Money. We can introduce it, or we can explain it, or we don't have to. We can just talk about it. But yeah. I'm pretty sure that a, his readership hasn't found him, and it will. And uh, it's really good stuff. It's it doesn't. It's not going to come across to everyone, but um, he has a way with language. So that's it's the first time I've heard him speak. I think, and so that's interesting. I agree. Yeah, John is a great writer, and actually, you know, a couple of his articles have really attracted some some attention and some decent readership um, over the past couple of months. He's he's definitely had some articles. Um, yeah, we, we don't know where from, though, do we, Michael? Yeah. Kind of, because Michael, I kind of, my blogs now, you publish them, don't you? Well, I mean, and, I, um, I put them through, like, a, a channel that I have on Medium, but, you know, I think that people are drawn to what you're talking about and the way that you're talking about it. Fundamentally, you're a good writer and an engaging writer, so it's nice to read, and I think that's why people um, are drawn to what you're saying, not only because the, the topics are relevant um, but also because they like 
they like the way that that your uh, your prose fits together, John. Yeah, he's thanks. great at he's great at picking headlines. Like he'll uh, he'll DM me a, a new article, and I just read the headline. I'm like, oh, that's a great great title, and I'll retweet it. I don't even read the article. So yeah, I think we are ready <laughs> to get to hear you today, John, and you know, appreciate you know you coming on to the program um, as your first right. voice appearance. You know, people know what you yeah. like, but they might not have known what you sound like yet. Yeah, this is the first time I've done a podcast, so you'll have to go easy on me. Yeah, well, you know, um, we're not we're not going to do that. We're going to completely <laughs> go back to the wall about John Nash today. <laughs> yeah, go on, man. I'm ready for it? Well, let's make it a little bit. Let's easier. Let's make it easier. What have you changed your mind on, like Johnny or guys, in the last couple of like months or year with your writing and what you've researched and what you've seen and how it relates? So, like something that you've I thought about for a while and now I've changed your mind on recently well I kind of first got into the kind of Nash aspect when I um, I met Jow for, it was on Re- Bitcoin Reddit I think wasn't it Jow I think it was oh. around 2017 2016 I got kicked off of that constantly I, what was your name on Reddit um, Art of Blocks yeah, I don't okay. really use it that much anymore, but um, that's how we first, um, that's how we kind of first got introduced to each other. Um, and just from there, uh, the first thing I remember reading from Nash was Parallel Control, which is quite, it's not easy reading. Um, I don't know how many times I've read it, but it's more than 20 and I still, I don't, I'm not sure I still properly understand it, but I remember one line in it about the idea is to decentralize control. It's an idea for ele- electronic brains of the future. Yes. And yes. Um, that's how I kind of first, that's when I remember something. I distinctly remember that point when I read it and I thought, oh, something's twigged here. Um, and then we kind of continued the dialogue and we've kind of known each other for a few years now. Um, but with the back to the questions like what's changed recently, I kind of just made a concerted effort to read um, kind of like Nash's works, like the bargaining problem, um, um, and his literature on cooperative games, Nash Equilibrium, um, Parallel Control. And then I just kind of started trying to put dots together or join the dots. Um, and that's kind of really where I'm coming from with it. You know, Do you uh, see this, um, Mike, in space? Real quick, He's... so you guys know, uh, you can post links into the the chat as well if you want to direct other folks to stuff that you're talking about not only within you know here where we're talking but just uh for viewership as well perfect you see this mike in space he's been reading he's the source material how do you feel about that he's been reading the source material Yes, and then other people don't, and they opine on it. Oh, I see what you're it. saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone has an opinion on Nash, it seems. But maybe they've only seen the movie. Right, that's a problem. <laughs> oh, so yeah, anyways, so... John, I, I actually did call that number, too. And I, it goes to someone else now. They It doesn't go to her. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we had an idea about trying to get Sylvia Nazar onto the podcast, which might have been a bit ambitious, but... <laughs> but um, so is that, what, is that what you're talking about, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's an idea to, to um, 
to consider in the future. Yeah. yeah. But um, kind of where I think where I differentiate um, my kind of understanding of Bitcoin and where I'm coming from is a generalization that it's uh, deterministic. So what I mean by that is some people say Bitcoin works in practice, but not necessarily in theory. But mm -hmm. I think it works in practice because it's based in game theory. Uh, more precisely, kind of, it's axiomatic to four principles that Nash established in the bargaining problem. So the idea was um, the bargaining problem, his big breakthrough was it resolved determination in economic interaction. So if you ask now, like the most kind of ardent Bitcoin supporters or kind of maximalists, what are the two problems Bitcoin itself says it solves? I suspect you'd get a tiny fraction who would say, well, one of the problems it says it solves is is uh, fraud in double spending. So most, you know, that's, most people are aware of that. But the second problem it says it solves is a determination of representation and majority decision-making. So that kind of goes in, that's kind of why I get into this idea that Bitcoin is deterministic. And that kind of leads me into ideas as to kind of where it's come from, which it, I'm not really sure how well that kind of line of thinking lends itself to kind of social media or, um, you know, podcasts or things like that, because that's not really how kind of Bitcoin has popularized itself. I don't know what kind of what people think to that. What do you think, Adam? Do you think it's deterministic? That's good. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, I have. A, I just have a general sense that we are just uncovering the layers, right, of it in a way. And I, I want to be able to understand. I, I started just reading Nash. All that, all that, uh, your your Twitter. I was, I have not um, gone through all of what you were are speaking about, but um, it is definitely deterministic in my mind. But that doesn't mean that it makes um, sense for it to unfold in my in my mind. It's sort of like we all we all went we all should go backwards, right? That founding document that everybody's kind of saying what it means right and all this Guys, it might be helpful yeah. for the audience and even for some of us uh, uh, up here to yeah. just give us the one the 101 on on asymptotic money nash equilibrium and how bitcoin fits into this because i think we 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 start we started we hit the ground running and maybe some people in the audience really don't know what we're talking about it's possible i i think so and i sort of was rambling there but i would like johnny's kind of insight on, on what his overarching view of like the forward progress looks like. Yeah, so kind of the ideal money that Nash um, kind of wrote about was an ideal money that wasn't intrinsically subject to inflation. And I think he, he kind of then realised that an ideal money can't be so perfect or ideal um, if, it, if it doesn't have inflation because it won't circulate. So he introduced this idea of asymptotically ideal money which essentially was ideal money by another means. But what he did is he, he introduced an inflation or a supply inflation that was steady and constant. And it's, it's interesting how both Nash and Satoshi um, described their respective monies with those kind of, those two same words. One, the inflation is steady and the, the, the inflation is constant. And um, that's kind of the most obvious link to me. Um the Nash equilibrium aspect of it is that kind of goes then into how cooperative games are modelled um, and what, how such an ideal money would have um, 
have a utility or a, or a use case. I don't know whether any of that makes sense to you guys. The What you said, is Bitcoin's inflation rate constant? Because some people would say that it's not, but both Nash and Satoshi explained it was. Well, the supply, the supply side economics of it are steady and constant because you've got the diff difficulty adjustment. So no matter how much kind of energy is directed into the network, the kind of inflation schedule is always going to be, we can, in, prob prob in, you know, in probability, we know that there's going to be around 21 million coins ever released. And it's, it's because of the adjustment mechanism that that's possible. So that's kind of one of the things that I've kind of picked out. And that, for me, goes back to one of the axioms that Nash, Nash used in the bargaining problem in 1950, where, um, okay, I don't know, does that, does that kind of make sense to, to you guys? I don't want to kind of talk on a, kind of a overly... No, no, I, I like that. Keep going. I thought that was... Yeah, keep going there. Yes, so Nash went in the bargaining problem, which is kind of where I think people realised this guy, it was kind of, he was out of the ordinary. He was kind of picking up a problem that von Neumann was trying to solve in terms of using game theory or a branch of mathematics to kind of rationalise kind of human behaviour through economic interaction. But non, von Neumann and Morgenstern in that book that they wrote, with the theory of gains and economic behaviour, they, they couldn't arrive at a deterministic point that, you know, a solution existed for all, for all gains. So Nash came along and introduced an axiomatic um, approach, and he worked on four axioms. So one of those was Pareto efficiency. The other one was symmetry. And the third one was invariance to scale. And that's really why I think the invariance to scale, that axiom, it, it relates into difficulty adjustment. So it just means that Bitcoin supply inflation is kept steady and constant. And from there, because we probably know how many coins are going to be ever in existence, people can then form kind of expectations about what Bitcoin will do as, as an asset or a form of money. Um, and that's kind of... Okay, so um, how does this all kind of fit into um, how the CPI baskets used? Because that's that was always my understanding, where you know inflation is kind of targeted against a CPI basket, but what what goes into that basket is kind of subjective, and yeah. um, Bitcoin is a better way to kind of model that. Is that my anywhere close? Do you know a CPI? Do you know a CPI basket, Adam? I, I do. I'm actually linking right now in the into the the notes. There's a really wonderful, a really deep dive on CPI and, and how it's actually built out and looked at. Um, this guy's name is Victor Sheets. Uh, it's uh, lots. I just linked it over. Um, okay, so CPI is obviously just a basket of goods. There's a bunch of different indexes. There's one that was going around Twitter a while ago that got a lot of shit because it was a. Uh, Oh, I don't remember the name of the index, but it was it was really BS. It was kind of showing everything, which is spiking at, like out of control, at, like three thousand percent over year over year. Right. Um, you know, the, the official stats we did hit a five point five percent inflation rate, like the last print, and that is really hot, no matter how you look at it. But again, you can look at it via a COVID lens. You can look at it via a 
shipping issue, you know, lens, you can look at it from all sorts of angles and, you know, you, people can discuss the sort of, well, how much money did we just print, you know, during COVID and it's like, well, it's not really, the money's not printed and it's not really outside the banking system. And so there's like a, that's a big, big, ugly thing to unpack um, from an inflationary standpoint. I just view the, the, the difficulty adjustment as the most genius thing on planet earth it's just hey if people are interested and there's enough energy into it well it's gonna be more difficult to make and if it's not then it'll be less difficult um and yeah. it just seems it's it just seems so perfect i mean i've never heard about it before i didn't read really nash's work before satoshi stuff so i didn't really know this stuff and it was really shockingly eye-opening how genius just that one piece of the puzzle is, is it, so is it, is it, where did that come from where did the the yeah that's a great question i don't where did that um idea come from for making a difficulty adjustment i think it was early it was early in the um bitcoin um email chains between i think hal and him had some discussions on it but i don't really know the history of it there's an there's a quote isn't it Joe? by well not quote he wrote it about 2002 or the early versions of ideal money that he said a miracle a miracle energy source doesn't have to be good for all time it just has to regularly readjust so that's kind yeah. of another kind of obvious connection between Nash wow. and Bitcoin. He said, so you have to trace the concept of a CPI towards an ICPI, which would be a globally held uh, CPI. But he says, and then he's like, wait a minute, if, if a miracle energy source comes along and completely reduces the cost to produce whatever materials you're using for the CPI, it would it would just like destroy its use. And so he says that would require political intervention. And if you follow the talk, that would, uh, that defeats the purpose of having an ICPI. And with the DAA, the difficulty adjustment algorithm, if you understand it, it um, completely takes out that, the politics, it's self-adjustment. Yeah. It also means that there isn't an arbitrary approach to inflation. So Nash, Nash again uses that word. Well, Satoshi, Satoshi said, um, "Escape the arbitrary inflation risk of central banks." I think more or less that's what he said. But also Nash somewhere says an ideal money would be free of arbitrary inflation. So you kind of come back to this idea that with difficulty adjustment, you have kind of a form of determination, or it's a deterministic. Uh, form of money so for me that's kind of quite clear a quick, uh, clear link between um, nash and nash's ideas on ideal money and how bitcoin's kind of looks like it's an implementation of that but can we talk about how like what form would ideal money take would it be just like this sort of like um central bank money between banks well, think- is this would this be like the the money I use as an individual? What role would it be yeah. in that kind of world? So that's a good question. I think that's possibly where myself and Jao may kind of kind of maybe differentiate our kind of views on that. So simply, I think an ideal money would assume purpose or utility as being used in commercial contracts. So it's quite a normal practice for contracts. Any kind of contract will index to inflation. And kind of Nash was quite, he was kind of, he was pretty explicit really, where he said his first ideas on ideal money would be 
um, the is that of the importance of the comparative quality of the money used in an economic society to the possible precision or as an indicator of quality of the contracts for performances of f future contractual obligations. So it just seems kind of that's how he was. I don't think central banks will ever target something like Bitcoin. I, I kind of know Jao kind of, he likes the idea. Um, I'm not so sure on it. I think it's really about using an ideal money as a form of indexation in contracts because most contracts will adjust to inflation. You know, the, the idea that contracts are kind of gilt-edged or inflation-hedged, an ideal money would be would be kind of... I think that's I think that's really where Air National's coming from on, on it because then you get into the idea of the difference between non-cooperative games and cooperative games and it's really people begin to cooperate when there are contracts in place and they begin... Um, to um, meet their contractual obligations. Um, that's kind of like a thing, that's a staple or a, 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 that's an underpinning idea of game theory in, in, a term, in, in terms of how non-cooperative and cooperative games uh, differ. And that uh, seems to me what Hannah, kind of how, where, how and where Bitcoin has come from. Does that answer your question, Mike? Yeah, to a certain extent, but I mean, so in this in this world, um, would I still be using a fiat? But it would be like I don't know, a better fiat because of Bitcoin being used in, as an ideal money between central banks. Like, maybe you can just like articulate think, what that world would look like in terms of just how regular commerce would take place. In that kind of world, I don't think central banks would probably exist. So, for start, uh, that kind of term as well that you use, I mean, people might find it quite contentious to, so if I said Bitcoin itself is fiat, because it's not actually backed by anything, it's not, it's not kind of, it can't be... Well, yeah, no it meets the definition of fiat, it's by decree yeah. in a certain extent. Yeah, people get up in arms about that word, but yeah, it mm. kind of meets the definition. Yeah, so in that kind of world of ideal money, I don't think central banks would exist. There'd be no reason for them to kind of target an arbitrary rate of inflation. So, yeah. Shinobi, Shinobi would like that you said that. Yeah, and I think that you may, be, you may, you may, have, dis you may disagree with some of what I've just said there, Joel, I don't know. No. <clears throat> I think, as methodically, central banks won't exist. So in the long future, they won't. I just don't want us to think that, like, tomorrow Bitcoin will go through the roof and central banks will die. That's a silly notion. No, central, that's probably what, yeah. Yeah, central banks help each nation, and they might not be used in the future, but they were helpful along the way. And they might not all die out at the exact same time. In some places, they might still be viable solutions for a set of conditions. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things I kind of think also is that the idea of um, payment efficiencies or kind of side payments... Nash said in one of his early works, I think it's two-person co games, that side payments are not a special consideration. 
um, in comparison to the idea of determination. And that's the kind of another, I kind of wrote my last blog or my, one of my last blogs kind of covered that idea. Um, but it is quite deep subject matter, so I don't know how, how well I'm kind of explaining this. Um, yeah, it's just kind of... It's, it's the, the idea, so, that kind of what's traditionally known as a Bitcoin maximalist will say Bitcoin's about separating state and money. And so, to some extent, it, pro it possibly is. Um, but this idea that kind of Bitcoin is a standalone system... And the governments aren't going to kind of kind of react to it. I, I think that's a little bit kind of um, idealistic, too idealistic, or it's um, not realistic. I think um, that's already been front run, though, right? Like we already know that the Treasury, the BSA, everybody's got like they're all you know day glow painted orange. Every Bitcoin in the system, like everybody knows where everything is. I've been paying taxes the moment I joined the crypto space in 2011. Like, I don't know that there's not like a control discussion. Like, it's it's just it's very difficult for me to kind of grasp the okay, four, five, six, six years from now, whatever transitions happen globally, I can't imagine seeing fiat just being like, well, it's no longer useful. And I think uh, we've talked about weighing mechanisms before. Right, Bitcoin. I know somebody on this chat knows that for sure. Just talking about explaining the weighing mechanism of what Bitcoin looks like in a still an existing fiat world. Um, there's a lot to unpack for sure. But I, I keep. I'm enjoying what you're saying, Johnny. So please keep going. Um, I'm not sure what else to add. It's, it's quite interesting. I don't know, Mike. Mike in space. Um, Chris DeRose was in. He was in the newspapers over here in in the UK at the weekend. Were you, did you really? know that? Really? No, I did not. What was yeah. that about? So, so the Financial Times in London, which I'm assuming you've heard of. Yeah, yeah. So they did a they did a um, they did an article called the Crypto. Oh, I got to read that. And then uh, somebody sent it to me, who I'm having kind of. I have occasional dialogue with, and she said, oh, you want to read this? And I sort of read the title, The Cult of Crypto. It's like, oh, another Bitcoin is a cult kind of thing. Yeah. And I, um, but I, I read it, and he, Chris, it was Christy Rose, I think he was the first words in the article. Basically, they were talking about um, how he kind of became disillusioned with it all. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's kind of packed up and left, hasn't he? Yeah, left he, the space. basically, yeah. he deleted his Twitter, his podcast, the YouTube channel. It's all gone. Yeah, he kind of stepped back. Yeah, and because uh, he liked the idea of kind of deconstructing the idea of maximalism. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember? Jally had that. He had a what was it? He had a running with someone, didn't he? But he did he submit a Bitcoin? In, he submitted a proposal, didn't he, to Bitcoin Core, and they rejected it. Yeah, Mike knows more about that. Oh, than it's I been so long. Yeah, I remember that. It had to do with. Um, um, yeah, it had to do with. Um, Having a road, uh, having a roadmap because there really isn't one with Bitcoin Core, and um, because Bitcoin Core is decentralized, right? So you can't really have an official roadmap, I suppose. You're not, you're not supposed to call it Bitcoin Core, I don't think. Right. Yeah. So he was just he was trying. It was like a meta joke almost, like where he's trying to say, well, obviously there's a core, right? There's like a there's a there's a repo, and there's people who can commit to that repo. And uh, it's called Bitcoin Core, you know, Core, the center. 
So yeah. uh, he he was just kind of making an ironic kind of joke on the whole thing. Yeah, and what this article did, the guy who was interviewing him, um, he kind of got Chris to explain why he left, what he didn't like about it. Yeah, and I think it was the idea that he. I think he found some of the things that were being said around Bitcoin as unrealistic. Um, but that's kind of interesting also, because when we do get into this idea of, um, get into this idea of, of adjustment versus like static views or a utopia on what's ideal but, in terms you of... Know, I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, because I... So I, oftentimes Bitcoin is said to have a cult, and, in a, and it's, it's in, a, in a very negative um, tone. Mm. But... I mean, it, it's almost like the cult is needed. Like these rules are all social consensus, right? Mm. Twenty-one million and difficulty adjustment. You mm. almost need like a strong cult to enforce it. And I'm kind of curious, like within the the context of Nash and using Bitcoin um, in that role. I mean, can it be plumbing? Can Bitcoin be plumbing without the cult? Like, who's enforcing the consensus rules, and do they care anymore about 21 million? Are they going to inflate it away when it becomes convenient to do so? So I kind of, that, that's my one concern, where it's like, once you, once you lose, once it becomes very big and mainstream, and you kind of lose that cult element, is there anyone kind of protecting consensus at that point? I think that might come down to the design of it, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, again, these, this is social consensus. I know Bitcoiners don't like that. They like to say that Bitcoin is protected by math, right? But really, I mean, it's not math. It's a co It's a repo, and people decide what they want to run on their nodes. And there's, um, you know, there's some nodes are more important than the other nodes if they're economic nodes. And and so, but but really, it's like. There's 21. There's a 21 million hard cap because we say there's a 21 million hard cap. It's it's really just people, you know. Bitcoin is people. Yeah. Is it is it probable though? Probable though that 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 hard cap will ever change? Well, I mean, that's I mean, happen. I mean, it, it's really hard to say. I mean, right now, if you look at the mempool, it's empty. I mean, you can do a transaction for a couple pennies. And that's got to pick up at some point because the subsidies uh, disappearing. So I mean, mm-hmm. I, something's got to give. If if you know, everyone says no that the 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 cap will never will never raise it. But if the alternative is just death of the protocol, people might start coming around to that because you're, you're yeah, speaking, you're speaking to an equilibrium. Right, but here's the thing, even with the, the difficulty adjustment, it all sounds good in theory, but it takes two thousand sixteen blocks to readjust. So if you have a if you have uh, if the if the hash rate falls off a cliff, uh you can have it's gonna take quite a while to get to the next block and that can cause a lot of harm in the meantime, right? Yeah. If you ever get there. Yeah. Is it two weeks of harm about Well, right, no, it's two weeks at the current hash rate, but if hash rate just falls off a cliff all of a sudden it it could take forever right so if a miracle energy source comes along then you would well there's still the bottleneck of the asics themselves right you can only make them so quickly but yeah if there's a miracle yeah energy source that that could also screw with uh the difficulty readjustment 
Right. Well, at least for at least for one cycle, at least one or two cycles, and then it'll obviously readjust upwards. Yeah. Um, how, how much did Satoshi? I mean, I read a, a, I read as much as I can, but the, the discussion of post, um, you know, block subsidies and the internal fees. It seemed to me like Heath kind of threw it off, like at least from Satoshi's writings, from what I remember, it was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be fine because it'll just be the fee transactions will support the network. So, and then that goes then goes back into that big block versus small block thing. It's like, well, well, if there's if it doesn't cost anything to transact, then what's the like? What's the economic incentive then? Post block subsidy in a, a big block versus small block world, let's say. So, if you were Satoshi and you had this technology and you cared, like let's say you're benevolent. How much time would you spend thinking about this and making sure you didn't screw this problem up? I don't have an answer to that question. I suppose, I mean, at a certain point, like even if Bitcoin just becomes plumbing, um, there will be incentive to even mine at a loss because it'll be so important. It'll be like too big to fail. Yeah. So even if like, just perhaps that's financial. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's yeah, where we end up. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of IT equipment run in all kinds of industries where they just look at it as a cost. Yeah. But look what look at what happened with uh, Bitcoin Cash when they first split. What was the first thing they did? They messed around with the difficulty readjustment, right? Um, just so that they they could survive. And so you start to wonder, it's like, well, once you don't have the cult anymore and it just becomes plumbing, do the big players just say, oh, we'll just, we'll just, uh, we'll just adjust the, the difficulty if we need to, you know, it, no big deal. If the hash rate dropped off a cliff and block slowed, the fees would increase. Well, if people want to transact on L1, but I mean, what right. is, what is, here's the thing. It's like once you have L2s and people are using custodial things and Bitcoin is just plumbing for, you know, as this sort of um, currency peg, is that what you'd want to call it in the Nash equilibrium or maybe even I mean, who's in the, that state, it might even be just like an informational like snapshot. You know what yeah, I mean? yeah, so then who who's filling these blocks? Well, I mean, okay, so under demand. these conditions, it sounds like blocks are not being created. So, like, that final snapshot allows for, like, an infinite number of level twos, layer twos, to be able to be implemented on top of that snapshot. That's a big if, though. Like, why would yeah. we can assume that, but it could, they could, most of that activity could just be on custodial services. Like, or it could oh, be yes, lightning exactly. on top of. Well, yeah, but see, I mean, it could be consider lightning uh, yeah. to to fundamentally become a custodial service because of the liquidity in the hubs. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a it's a better experience of using custodial service. Like I'm, I run non custodial lightning, and yeah, there are hiccups and there's bottlenecks, and I, I do it because I'm you know geeky in that way. But yeah, the average person is not going to do that. Um, they they will gravitate towards the simpler 
cheaper solutions. So, Mike, let's actually spin this into a real-world example where people were talking about the Chivo wallet with El Salvador. Right. Right, and what was kind of happening there. Um, and well, the yeah, I don't know really about the internals there. I don't but, yeah, that, I think but there, I were, know there, there were people saying, like, oh, look, you can now use Bitcoin as a national currency. And then there were other yeah. people saying, like, yeah, but you can't get it off of that wallet. And right. Yeah, there were some like temporary issues. Well, I assume that that out a workaround for it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I assume that it's custodial because you know the the Lightning Network wouldn't be able to support that kind of activity. Um, but yeah, there were um, issues coming up where they couldn't they couldn't move uh, stats over to I think Moon Wallet or some of these other ones. I mean, a lot of it could just be early hiccups. You know, they really messed up on that first day. But, um, yeah, I would need to know more about the technicals about how it's uh, implemented, but I'm pretty sure it's custodial. Yeah, I, I believe that's correct, too. Um, and again, like, my thinking on Lightning Network is just fundamentally because of how liquidity and hubs will work. Um, for most people, it'll even if it doesn't necessarily look custodial on the surface, it will fundamentally be custodial. Yeah. Well, it, exactly. And I kind of fight a little bit with other Bitcoiners about this because they'll, they'll say, hey, use this mobile lightning wallet and it's non-custodial, but it's only got a single channel to a hub. Right. And it's like, no, well, in my view, that's custodial because if you only have one path and it's through a hub, well, they can censor you. And so... And they'll argue about, well, you know, you're, you're using the public lightning network, it's non-custodial, but I, I think if you're forced to use their, go through their hub, that then, that to my, in my mind, that's custodial. You need to have multiple um, pathways. Isn't anything level two custodial? I mean, I guess we're getting into a bit of a philosophical yeah. talk there. I mean, I, I think lightning can be non-custodial. I, I kind of feel I use it in a non-custodial way. But then if you're talking about, well, ultimately the, you know, miners have to, you know, mine your, your opening and closing and they could censor those. Is that, it, there's a lot to it. I don't know. Yeah, it, it various levels, right? It kind of like inverts over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you can make the argument. I mean, I can't read code. I, I'm trusting the core devs when I'm running my Bitcoin node. So, I mean, is that custodial? I mean, for 99% of the population, it kind of is. Because I, I can't, like, they could, I could, whatever code I'm running, I'm not verifying. Like, line by line, I'm trusting. So Nash talks about the concept of translatability, and I know I've skipped 14 lines here, but um, you just touched on that. I mean, what's translatable from what Sadoshi did? Now, do we believe, or is the theory here that Nash literally is Satoshi, or just that they uh, they both had 
you know, the same kind that's of... My, that's my belief. Good idea. Nash, yeah? Nash, Nash was Because how old, how old was he in 2009? 81. I guess, but so would... It, and I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I mean, I, I'm assuming he would be working within a team, or you think he did it solo on his own? Well, I did. I wrote a blog once, Michael, that Michael published, um, called Satoshi Nakamoto was an octogenarian. Um... But I don't see why he it couldn't. Why so some people say he couldn't code, but he was familiar with that. He was familiar with the language C, and just all the kind of. If you look at Bitcoin as a design, and if you look at the design as containing axioms, then it seems it just seems obvious. Well, I'm not saying obvious, but. It, it, the, the, Connection between the two just seems it seems too much to ignore. I mean, and I can say the same about Hal Finney. I mean, there's so there's a lot of evidence pointing at Hal Finney as well. That's kind I of mean, assuming he was yeah. ta- he was talking to himself on the internet, which sounds a bit. Um, well, that's what you do want to do. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? Actually, uh, there is a precedent for stuff like that. Um, so, what is it? The age of spiritual machines. Kurzweil does that. Uh, over the course of like 15 chapters or whatever where he's basically having a dialogue with himself via uh a, an avatar spot romana Ro- romana romana whatever Maybe. her name is yeah well no i think that was before that um oh, the character okay. inside of age of spiritual machines is uh, i don't remember her name but uh, yeah, and basically over the course of that book, each chapter becomes more focused on the dialogue as he goes further into speculating about the future. But I think that, um, you know, yeah, people people do use anonymity as a way to, um, or even just characters as a way to um, create a dialogue or even to have, you know, a, a seemingly a third party Discussion. Who created Bitcoin? Was it Zabo? Did Zabo do it by himself? Who Definitely. created Bitcoin? Definitely. No, Zabo feels like a mean. Yeah, he doesn't feel like it. I don't know. You can look at the references on the white paper and go, I don't know. Well, Bayer could, or Messier, or, or even Die, or B Money. I mean, all these guys could if have. I had, yeah, if I had to put money on it, I would say Finney, personally. Really? Okay. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, I'm like 99%. Did, did, did he consult with Sabo? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm sure he got influence from a number of sources. But in terms of the one who did the the majority of it, I would say it was Finney. So uh, Zabo, um, Finney, in about 2002, wrote a little letter in the mailing that said, "I think Nash is." is an extropian. I think Nash is an extropian thinker. Here's the reasons why, blah, blah, blah. For yeah. the 20 years, around that time, for 20 years up until like five years ago, Nash had been speaking about ideal money, and we all know what he said about it. And Zabo wrote Blockchains and Social Scalability and said, here are the brilliant trade-offs that Satoshi figured out. Zabo, he's got some weird views, but I don't think he's so egotistical that he, he speak to himself and, and say, I'm brilliant. 
Zabo said, here is why Satoshi is brilliant. I, I've read a lot of Sabo stuff. I have a huge amount of respect for him. I think he's super so if you read I, just, I don't think he's a Satoshi, though. Yes. Okay. Yes. So he said, here's why Satoshi is brilliant. And you must have yeah. read that. Uh, I don't think he, I don't think he, that's what I'm saying. I don't think he's Satoshi. I, I certainly think that he, I love his writing on all the early money, all the forms, early forms of money, and I like all this. Is, but I, just, and I think his blog, his blog was, is essential. I do not think he's Satoshi, though. Okay. And what, do you think how Finney is or has anything? No, I'm one, of, I'm one of those crazy idiots that are like, you know, got hooked into the the mind meld of DeSantis and it's the nations, two nation states having a quantum, it's a quantum computer sniffer. I, you know, like you could really put a tinfoil hat on and have fun with this stuff. I don't think it's even worth figuring out who it really is or try because i don't think you'll ever really know i mean there was that thing obama supposedly tried to find out who he was i remember hearing about it but i think it's a two nation states trying to figure out a way to create a, a system to sniff out a quantum computer in the wild because that is the biggest you know let's call it national security risk period so okay yeah, it's, stupid, it's stupid sounding and i know it's tinfoil haddish but that's fine it's just it is so interesting that it would make it makes sense because it certainly is a quantum computer sniffer, right? Like so, yeah, I'm 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 convinced that it's something a lot more uh, nefarious and weird than uh, hey, it's uh, it's Sabo or, or it's somebody else. Like, I, I know I don't think that's possible to even figure out. So so if it's not possible to figure out, let's go the furthest craziest um, possibility, <laughs> and there, that's where I line up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you 100% think it's Nash. We get that. Right. <laughs> exactly. There you go. You, you, you think it's Nash, do you, Adam? Well, I think that the the most likely outcome is is a, is a blend of Nash and somebody else. I think Nash would certainly have worked on it with somebody else, but I don't know who. When, when So Adam Back is another obvious candidate, but he's always denied it, and he said he thinks Satoshi was one guy because of the coding style. So I'm, I'm not computer coder or kind of... And neither am I. Yeah, I think, I think that's the problem, biggest issue, is that a lot of the people that can communicate this stuff, like you, Johnny, uh, and, you know, people like me trying to be able to figure out how to communicate this stuff correctly, it's like, we're not coders. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I can't read C++. I've got people that I rely on to tell me what yeah. this looks like and what this means, but... I'm just like, it comes back to what we were just discussing before about, you know, well, as L- level two is a custodian or whatever. It's like, well, everything sort of, uh, like you said, flip it on its head. Everything kind of goes wacky. Any line we go down trying to figure out what Bitcoin is or how to describe it, it just ends up being, well, it is this, but actually it's the exact opposite of this as well. And it's very frustrating. It's um, it's kind of interesting if you go into, you know, like you read the, the um, Satoshi kind of quotes, and um, even he admitted that Bitcoin escrow wasn't as good as human escrow. And there's another th- there's another place where he admits that Bitcoin itself is susceptible to. I think he spoke in relation to quantum computing. I think he said Bitcoin itself is susceptible to a to a stronger um, hashing signature algorithm. Almost admitting that Bitcoin isn't the kind of the kind of ultimately ideal money. Um, and I've kind of probably spent too much time reading through all this stuff and Nash and analysing it, but 
No, I, I, don't, I, don't think you, I don't think you have. I mean, I think that this, if my belief, right, is that this is a hundred year technology, right? Like, like the, the small blockers right on Twitter. It's like a nightmare just even like interacting with anybody, to be honest mm. with you. Um, is that is that is that yeah. is that is that BSV? Is that no no no? no, no I'm um, yeah small block yeah exactly. But oh yeah, really, of course. Sorry, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but the more, yeah. but the general idea is more of like no, no, no. I'm I'm more interested in the economic underlying system of like if you take this, you're you're researching and trying to figure out who Nash is, how it relates, all this kind of stuff. I feel like mm. your research and your writing is going to be just as useful fifty to hundred years from now because. I think we're not, we already missed the boat, right? Like Ethereum kind of stepped into the, the path while Bitcoin was getting split apart, right? So there was this big political nonsense that happened inside mm. of the hash wars and everything. And by luck and by design, Ethereum and, and the like really stepped in and said, hey, we could do colored coins, right? We could do NFTs. We can. And the reality is that we all know that basically if you look at the protocol and stuff, like, well, we could do all that stuff anyway, on Bitcoin, but we just chose to go down a path and Wall Street co-opted it where we've got this, hey, it's digital gold. And so my biggest interest in this right now is going like, well, no, actually, I think we screwed up, right? We've got to go back and figure out how to mesh the big block, small block ethos together and then kind of have a ideal, I don't think of that as ideal money. I think of it as ideal infrastructure for the digital age and money can be a part of it on top of it. Like it's a good base to put money on but my vision of it is just S smtp or you know the inter uh, email protocol it's just a really good version of a new protocol that we all can transact on but because of the hash wars and because of everything that happened everybody's just confused and so for me yeah. i don't think we're going to get back to the original white papers discussion for 30 40 years from now like we missed the like the political thing that happened and if you want to believe the bs fears with mastercard and all that kind of nonsense it doesn't matter but what does matter is that the protocol itself did get split apart giving this really big marketing and total addressable market that just went missing in bitcoin because of the hash wars and ethereum stepped in and now you got salon all these other guys were just like yeah they're operating on a proof of stake and proof of history and proof of all this stuff which is fascinating to me all this stuff is mm. awesome because i think 30 40 I, years will be time traveling from now what, well, what do you think so. of that? I don't. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows that. Oh, stuff. you I mean, don't think thirty forties? Well, well, I think I think that forty years. If you take you a look at the, the Weinstein's, well, think about it. Come on, you think about like all the stuff. If you listen to the podcast with the Weinstein's and Eric and you know geometric unity and all this kind of stuff, there's right, a lot of stuff coming right, down the pipe. Right, right. There's a lot they of stuff know what they're talking the about. Well, there. Well, we don't have no idea if they know what they're talking about. I mean, he can't even prove he knows what he's talking about. So. But the idea is that there is some stuff on the table, right? At least from a from my uh, who created like, Bitcoin. I, I think they two nation states. I think the U.S. and, and Israel created Bitcoin for sure. I, that's my that's my best guess. Second best guess is Nash and some team. Third best guess is uh, the the uh, psychopath running BSV. Uh, fourth best guess is God knows anybody else. That's a pretty good guesses. You know. Sad though, because I feel like this is something that, even if some, if we were able to prove, well, we are able to prove, right? So the Satoshi could prove it's him. So even if they said, "Hey, I meant it to be like this," it's too late, right? That it doesn't matter who invented because the the marketing and the world has co-opted it because Wall Street put enough money behind it that it's, "Hey, this is digital gold," and like we're missing ninety percent of the potential for this pro this protocol that is just dropped on us like a futuristic time-traveling alien just dropped this document on us. I want but, to revisit something. Yeah. 
yeah. real quick, Mike. Uh, have you ever because you were talking about the rose earlier? Have you ever looked at uh, Bitcoin dot Foundation? Yes, yeah. DeRose talked about that a lot. Yeah, so that was sort of the ossified early protocol that didn't uh, incorporate things like SegWit. And so DeRose was, uh, for a while there, he was touting that as the real Bitcoin because this was right after the the fork wars and whatnot. So it's like, you might as well go right back to the beginning. None of these, he was basically saying, none of you guys are Bitcoin. This was the real Bitcoin. And, you know, a lot of it is just kind of um, trolling and whatnot. But I mean, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, I suppose that's true. I mean, it it is the sort of the, the common lineage of all the forks, and it doesn't have what he called vendor extensions like Segwit. So the, to him, what he was saying is that that was sort of like the rock, right? Gold, the protocol for gold is, you know, it's completely unchanging, unlike uh, forks of Bitcoin where humans have gotten involved. But this early, the, the Bitcoin foundation was pre- all this stuff, and that was sort of the 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 actual digital gold, you know, the the unchanging protocol. Yeah, I think that um, that's like an interesting line of thinking to say that basically um, you could pick up an old version, right? Right. And you could you could just basically fork off at any point, any block you want to. Um, yeah, because SegWit will look like an anyone can spend, right? So, like, you need, so the you know you're assuming these vendor extensions will continue to be supported going forward, right? But if you're using the the oldest version of the protocol, then it's going to be forward compatible, or at least that's the assumption. Whereas yeah. these some of these changes, um, well, a lot of these changes are no longer backwards compatible. So that's oh, exactly. Which fact. means that they basically they stole Satoshi early coins, right? Basically, you're you're not able to transact on that network and be able to let's call it uh, fiat fiatize your Bitcoin. Mm, no, I don't. I don't know about that. Um, I think that it's the it's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of that one. Whereas, like the older addresses can be brought into the new address space. Um, uh, naming convention, but the new naming convention cannot be. Yeah, like oh, one so address. You can still. Compatible. I got it. Yeah, so. like you can still use one addresses. Everyone's everyone now uses Segwit, which is BC one. You know, it's that sort of. Uh, I forget the name of that uh, naming scheme. Bitcoin. Um, Beck thirty two. It's I think it's called Beck thirty two. But yeah, it took a while there to use Beck thirty two because we had to wait for the wallets to catch up and incorporate it. So you you. Right. For a while, there was kind of it would only half worked where you could receive, but you couldn't send, and it was kind of a clusterfuck a little bit until enough of the ecosystem upgraded, and then it became usable. But that was it was never a problem if you were using a one address. You know, you could just use it with any. You got one address will work on BSV, BCH, BTC, right, uh, right from the. You know what I mean? Like it's so it is forward compatible compatible towards you know every wallet out there right and then these vendor extensions require support right uh segwit yeah because basically at any point old address coins can be moved and you need to be able to receive that yeah well yeah exactly yeah so you need to they need to support yeah exactly segwit i believe it doubled the size of the code base like segwit's a 
like it, I'm, as a feature, I guess it's fine. But in terms of complexity, and I'm not a coder, I'm probably um, not really speaking from a point of code authority. But from what I've read, is it it, it increased the complexity of the code base quite a bit. And then you start to wonder, well, who's going to maintain this code base? You know, the more complex something gets, you have a smaller and smaller group that even understands what's going on. And then you end up with sort of like a cabal. Right? What, is, because... what, does Nash, what does Nash say about, about that then, right? Uh, Luke, that? We'll get Luke Jr. to maintain that. Yeah. And he's, well, he's, having, he's, he's creating the next generation of core devs with all the kids. Well, what, what we're realizing is that that's actually all that matters, though, right? No, well, that's all that matters, right? The idea is that the reason that the venture capitalists are all, like, bona fide over Ethereum and so on and everything else is that because it's, well, that's where all the developers are going. And if you, right. if you interview any old venture capitalist, the idea is, like, what's everybody doing on the weekend? And that's what I'm going to research, right? And so everybody yeah. started doing crypto. And so all the venture capitalists started doing crypto. But the idea is, like, their, own, their money's already, the money's there, the the brain trust, the brain power, it's is all going to Ethereum and all the soul and all the proof of stakes. It's not because it's better. It's just because of, that's where the marketing dollars went to. And so as much as we care about Bitcoin, it there may be a marketing uh, push and enough movement. Uh, proof of stake just wins out in the end just because of uh, the marketing, which is like insane, right? But, but that's where the money is. Like if you guys look at the venture capital flow, Nobody is going to proof of stake. Nobody. So there's no money. There's no brain power. Right? There's like that core trust, right? The core, and there's people interested in it. But but the capital markets, as such, the trillions and trillions of dollars in capital markets, is being hook, line, and sinkers. That hey, Bitcoin is you know what is tired, right? And you know it's the it's the new stuff, right? Because Solana is being pitched as the Nasdaq for for the markets, and it's like it's ridiculous. Like the whole thing is insane. But so what? All the money is already flowing in there. All the brain power is already flowing in there. So the way That's I kind of see all this is it, Ethereum, Solana, they all flourish in a permissive regulatory environment. And Bitcoin is sort of the opposite. It's built like a tank. It's slow. It, 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 it's unchanging. But it's kind of built for war. And it's, it's built so once like the, if and this is the bet. The bet is that eventually the regulators are going to crack down because and once that happens, all the Solanas and uh, the Ethereums and all these other coins that have been very successful within this permissive market, they'll just they'll be gone overnight because they'll be easy enough to take down. And the the, the and again, this is just a theory. It's a bet. It could be completely wrong. But the bet is that Bitcoin is built for the. For the opposite, you know, the draconian reg, uh, regulatory environment. Right, but the draconian regulatory environment right now is 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 the BSA and Treasury, and they are absolutely one hundred percent painting day glow orange every single Bitcoin. And so, when you're saying that that there's some type of hey, it's ready for war, what I'm saying is that sure, it is. I mean, it is, but. So what? Like, if we're, everybody's on level two, you don't think every single government can stop that transaction? So, so the problem that I find it is does always go back to this hash war stuff. I'm not a big blocker or small blocker. I'm more interested in what the economic incentives differentiate themselves yeah. after this post this hash war, and how does that look from a government standpoint? Right? If they're going to shut it down. Is it easier to shut it down from a concurrent a digital gold 
small blocker? Is it easy, is it easier to shut down if it's you know big blocker environment? Is it all that stuff is so much? If this is a hundred year document that was dropped out to us by a space alien, we're already changing it, right? You just said Segwit doubled the size of the thing. It's like, yeah. wait a second, this thing's supposed to be studied and researched and thought about carefully, and it's like, yeah, nope, nope, just run. Just run as quickly as well, possible. It, it so, reminds me of like uh, Y2K when that happened. And they had, to, in order to deal with all these old systems that were built in the 1950s, they literally had to go get retirees, like 80 year olds, who they're the only ones who even understood how they worked to kind of fix these bugs to, to avoid and, and Y2K. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. So who maintains the code base in a couple generations? You know, are are the when it becomes so complex and arcane in terms of how it was written and this kind of aversion to doing any sort of hard fork, so you're stuck with this sort of legacy code that still needs to be maintained if like a bug comes up or whatever. So it it, it is a little concerning. It's like the brain trust, the the number of people that actually understand the code base, you could probably count on on your hands, right? So what happens in 20, 30 years when, when Luke or Greg or whoever else retires, uh, you know, the new crop of devs, will they be able to just step in into this, this ancient code base? Huge questions and huge questions based on even security stuff. Like for me, I feel like if the core devs really are like the, 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 the holders then from a nation state perspective, it's pretty freaking easy to get rid of them. Like, to be honest with you, like you can cut those guys. There's like six of them. You can hunt them down pretty quickly and, and kill them. So it's not like there's real, like, Hey, this is hard, hard ass. It'll be around for a hundred years. It's like, well, what if you kill the top five developers? Like good luck trusting the people stepping into their shoes. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that this goes bad, right? Very easily. This doesn't work. Um, there's no like perfect ideal money because people are involved. Like there is no. If, um, what if there were no developers in Bitcoin? Would it not just continue? Well, I guess the question is, has it been designed? So, well, so just, early... oh, go ahead. Sorry, Johnny. Go ahead. I, say, I saw that tweet from Mike, um, Mike in space earlier this week about it. He described it as a tank and let the regulators come. I saw that. I thought that was quite a good tweet. Um, but, but, but yeah, you uh, always need yeah. devs because bugs. They're uh, sure. always going to be dealt up. with, and right, like the inflation bug or whatever the bugs happen, and like you need to have people to go, "Hey, this was not supposed to be." Yeah. You always mm. have to have that, so it's but so also hard to... yeah, but also just it's almost worse if you just have a new crop of devs that maybe they slip something in, and because no one's real can really, you know, d- validate the code on their own, they're just downloading the latest binary to run. Then that gives that group a tremendous amount of power to maybe slip something in there that no that's one sort, notices. That sort of goes back to maybe that's why that Bitcoin dot foundation thing has, or could have legs in the future. Yeah. Right. If everything mm-hmm. just kind of collapses in on itself, like in my opinion, we're in the 1997 stage of the crypto stuff where everybody was 97. I'm old as hell. So I remember it was broadcom.com, pets.com, yahoo.com. Everybody mm-hmm. was talking about it. It's all there was. And then you had a crash like three years later. Um, and by the way, after the crash, if you were in internet stuff, dot-com stuff, you were made fun of for like three or four years after the dot-com crash. And so I feel like you're going to get the same buildup. There's a, about the same number of users as 97 or 98 on the internet that there are in Bitcoin. And so you're going to get this big, huge run-up. Everybody's going to be all in on it. It'll go down 90-plus percent. And then after the washout, 
you know, my hope is that after this next washout, there'll be some type of recognition of going, oh, hey, why don't we just like go look at that original document again? Like, what was in there that was interesting? Yeah, you know, and then kind of that Bitcoin Foundation will have that sort of maybe some value at that point in the future. But I could be wrong. I mean, doesn't proof of work doesn't is not the end all be all. Although I feel like it might be because I can picture you know the sci-fi like Dyson sphere around the sun, like really cool crazy stuff to try to you know mine the network and keep it up. But like, there's a lot of really cool futuristic stuff from a proof of work standpoint. But who knows? I mean, this proof of history that Solana's got, or you know the 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 the, the uh, Hedra hash graph with the uh, proof of gossip, and I mean all this stuff is interesting. I don't really understand if this stuff has staying power, but it really has unleashed this sort of creative economic flourishing. Um, and I, I don't think we're, any of us know sort of what, what is, you know, ideal money in a Nash world from a proof of work standpoint may be very different from a proof of memory standpoint or a proof of gossip standpoint. Like how do those, all those things interact together and how are these economic systems affected? I mean, these conversations are so important and so fuzzy. They're so hard to guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting you said about the uh, dot com um, bubble bursting because I mean Satoshi spoke directly to that. He said, "I hope, I hope it's understood. It was just the centralized nature of those business models that that destroyed them." Do you remember that one? Yeah, which is which is proof of stake, right? Central. That's the whole yeah. point of it. Is that if you have mm. the money, you make the rules. The whole beauty of Bitcoin, right, is that you have all the money. You can't make the rules. It doesn't matter. Um, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. As um, as Mike as Mike in space dropped off. Yeah, Mike to, to the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. I think I was offended. He had to cook. For, yeah. he had to cook. Uh, the wife. Yeah, yeah. He had to cook yeah, for the yeah. wife. I get that. Uh, obviously, you know, you guys don't have to go. We can keep kicking things well, around. Johnny, I'd like I'd like to still kind of hear you kind of riff. Uh, I'm enjoying what you were saying. If you can maybe touch on, um, if you've thought about um, the, those systems that I was kind of touching on, like, hey, like, here's Nash's ideal money. In my mind, this is how it relates inside of the network. But again, like I was saying, it's like, okay, that's the proof of work network. We're all agreeing that this is sort of the most realistic form of capitalism where you don't have to trust anybody that's the this makes the most sense to me so an ideal more money would flourish inside of that system but each of those edge pieces of the system are really important so like maybe you can touch on anything inside of that where like okay it's a ideal money inside of proof of work how does that make it better than a proof of stake or how does it make it better than a gossip network or how does that make it better like i'm yeah. just trying to figure out and again i i'm sorry that i'm rambling but you've got this really good insight into true sort of the mix between the two so i'd love to just hear you kind of go off and riff on it i think um kind of a simple answer to that would be bitcoin so i was kind of Kind of Jal's introduced Jal introduced me into um, into this John Nash kind of way of looking at what Bitcoin is, and since I've kind of got involved with that, it kind of kind of on a, on a simple level, it, it seems that Bitcoin is just a way of modelling kind of a non-cooperative game where people don't know whether they can trust other people into a way of modelling cooperation. So, kind of what you're talking about there, about what, what proof of work is. And the longest chain or the most trustworthy chain, it's a way of kind of going from a non-cooperative game to a cooperative game. 
And that's kind of where it comes into this idea of having an ideal money that can be, or a basis for ideal money that can be used or referenced or indexed in, in commercial contracts. Um, so I think, personally, I think anything kind of above that, you sign it, you're kind of getting into the realms of speculation and kind of financial speculation, I mean, where people might say, oh, we've got this idea. I mean, I've not heard of proof of gossip before, so that's a new one on me. But whatever that means, that's, that just kind of sounds quite like a, just a speculative idea where kind of this idea of proof of work, the longest chain, um, the most trustworthy chain, is a way of kind of keeping everyone on the same page. So from non-cooperative game, you then you're getting into kind of modelling cooperation and kind of different levels of cooperation and different kind of qualities of cooperation. Um, I don't know whether that makes any sense. It does. It does. It's it's I. It's very actually helpful to think about it through through Nash's lens of just trying to make the the connections. I still feel like I need um. There's this uh, website called Rap Genius, and it just sort of like you know breaks down like uh, songs, and you like highlight a sentence, and it'll be like, "This is what this sentence means." Like, I really want a high level Bitcoin white paper on in Rap Genius, where you like highlight a thing, and sure you've got people disagreeing, but at least it's like what this sentence means, what people think this sentence means, and you know I want you to write in that sentence like, "Well, this is how it relates to Nash," or "This is what Nash would think about it." Like, I just need this central repository of thought because there's too much to tackle well kind of that's one of the reasons i've run the bot really is it kind of it's nash in nash's words so i don't kind of talk in the first person on it it's just really just botting bits of ideal money nash's early game theory bits of interviews he's done video clips where he's been asked questions um and that's kind of what i'm trying to get at with that i think um, yeah, I think that's why I'm so excited sort of you to be on the call in a sense because I just it's nice to know that somebody's sort of trying to make these connections. Um, it's important to do. I found it's quite easy on Twitter. You, you can get into interaction with some people and it starts out kind of all pleasant and polite, but it doesn't take long for it to kind of kind of disintegrate and like messages get lost or what you're trying to say gets trying to make people understand or convey a point. So I've kind of arrived at this kind of bot approach where I just copy and paste John Nash from his various works that are available in various places. That's why I like um, that. That's why, yeah, that yours is awesome. That's why I like the Satoshi bot or whatever. They're just retweeting randomly, you know, or putting out randomly everything that he's ever that, said. That, yeah, that's kind of one of the, that's kind of almost where the idea came from because I worked on an assumption that if Nash is Satoshi, and there should be a Nash bot, just like there are a couple of Satoshi bots. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, what, um, again, I'm going to go back to the first question I asked you. I, I don't, you, don't, you definitely didn't dodge it, but it was more on the lines of, because I think you're, you're kind of trying to wrap the, around your head sort of how this relates anyway, but mm. as, is there something that you've changed your mind on recently in regards to really anything in this kind of space? Like, were you like, eh, a month ago, you're like, I hate NFTs, and now you're like, they're amazing. Like, it's something like that. I'm just kind of getting a sense of, you're, you're well, obviously I, a very bright, bright guy, and I just want to get some insight. I've never really had any views on N NFTs, but I think possibly... No, it wasn't really NFTs. I think they're, they're interesting, but no, it was more of the lines of you personally from your 
your you know your your kind of let's call it insights into you putting together this bot you kind of reflecting on the things that he said the things that satoshi said just your general view of things have you changed your mind recently on anything that you've kind of researched or seen i've not changed my mind the only thing that really happens is i become more convinced of the that kind of argument or line of thinking Hmm. um that's why i kind of continue to kind of write the occasional blog here and there um like the way for example nash spoke on the symmetry and game theory and then you read satoshi talking about symmetry and how bitcoin forks are asymmetric but they'll never pick up the hum of the world and that's quite like, like there are some places where satoshi speaks it's quite his language is quite quick what's the word quixotic he kind of says the dream. He says things in like a dreamy fashion, mm. and um, kind of you read through Satoshi and you read through Nash. It just seems so. Has anything changed for me? Not really. I've just become more convinced of that kind of of the relationship between the two. Don't know what Jao thinks to any of that. He's in deep thought, maybe. <laughs> is Jow still there? I'm pretty sure he is. Maybe he just paused or... Um... Gone to the fridge to get a beer. Yeah, who knows? Johnny, Johnny what's your what's your background? Where, where's your, where are you... Uh, what are you so, doing? yeah, so my background really is financial services. So I used to work in the city of London, like a stockbroker. Mm-hmm. That was a few years ago, and then I fell into kind of a a different area of financial services. Um, and that's where I first became aware of Bitcoin. And kind of, I still have a, I still have a, um, I still work now. Um, but yeah, really uh, financial services. Are you doing retail or institutional on the finance? Uh, retail. Kind okay. of retail. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, 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 um, similar. I'm a, reg- we're a registered investment advisor. So, yeah, well, I'm on, I'm in the States, it's a little bit different, I know, than the UK laws, but... Kind of similar, so you, you, you kind of... Are you, in New, are you in New York, is that where you are? Yeah, yeah, so New York, New Jersey, we've got our offices, yeah. Okay, yeah, it kind of sounds like I was doing a similar kind of thing. Yeah. But we were regulated by FCA, Financial Conduct Authority. Yeah, SEC, FINRA, that's why I know the BIS and the... Uh, all these guys so well, and I'm so interested in sort of this discussion of Bitcoin being hard money and unstoppable, and and I'm like, okay, that's cool, that's very interesting, and I do see why that is. But if you've got the weight of a nation going, hey, look, um, we want to know where every single transaction occurs, and we want to be able to control those transactions. And mm. that's where the Bitcoin discussions become really interesting because it's like, well, they can actually, you can actually stop Bitcoin if we're going down the path of which we're going, which is level two. So from yeah. what I, my knowledge, my knowledge is limited, but if we're on level one, it'd be very, very, and it's useful and it's, be, it's usable. It'd be very difficult to actually stop. But if we're on level twos, like this is as good as proof of stake. There's no difference. So yeah. I don't I don't know like I I'm really confounded by the Twitter sphere and especially obviously crypto Twitter on mm. this hard money line and like this impenetrable like tank and I'm like do you understand the power that the the BIS has do you understand what mm. Finra can do so mm. I don't I don't know I'm very confused on that's where again it comes back to this previous hash 
hash wars. It's like, I don't know if we would have had these issues because if the underlying protocol was just like, hey, it's the new internet and everybody's just going to transact on, on top of it um, in a meaningful way, then there is no version of level twos. There is no Ethereum. There is no, there's nothing. It's just, hey, this thing works perfectly. It is ideal money. It's like ideal everything. At least, again, my my reading of everything that I've seen from Satoshi and the white, original white paper and the little code that I can read, it seems like it's more reasonable to take what was given to us, right, and use it than try to disrupt it and F it up. And it seems yeah. like Wall Street has already... I mean, it's already done. Like, it's already too late. Wall Street has co-opted it. It's digital gold. There's nothing else to talk about. Like, mm. it, it's it's the new... And it's like... And I'm like, what the hell is everybody doing? I feel like I'm in a different planet, right? Because I just mm. feel like we had this perfect or close to perfect thing that I think we all could agree was pretty spectacular. And now it's just mm. broken apart into these pieces and this solid tank of moving gold. And it's like, what the hell? Are you guys mm. even talking about? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense because the government is going to stop every transaction. So how's that any different? It was a from new it? paradigm tool that people, you know, uh, retroactively pushed into mental models from before it existed. Is is basically how mm. I perceive the forks. It's like trying to take the thing, dismantle it, and and reconstitute it as technologies that have already existed such as uh you know national money uh or cash or old or really oh you're 100 percent right yeah that's exactly right it just feels like it's becoming it's like it was it was broken apart to fit fit the social fabric of society instead of it being itself on its own and being a new thing and it was just mm-hmm. forced to change in a, in a weird way. And so, so again, I really want to, what I'm hoping, Johnny, that you end up doing is a way of really trying to dig in enough where it's not just the, here's the ideal, here's the description of the ideal money. Here's a description of how it connects to Bitcoin. It's mm-hmm. almost more like, here's the, here's the op code, the operator's op return, right? Or whatever the op code is. This is the opcode that actually allows the Nash equilibrium of X, Y. Like, you know what I'm saying? I really want to understand from a, from a code level, right? Like, how this opcode kind of it connects itself in some way to a bigger piece, right? And how it interacts. And again, going back to the rap genius discussion of, like, how the F does this sentence kind of interact with this code base? Like, I want a sentence... Connected to the code base, connected to opinions, and again, if you could have that in a centralized place, I'd be laughing at me. I, I know, uh, but to me, that would be really useful. That's Twitter because I'm, that's Twitter. It's not no Twitter's a goddamn nightmare to use, and I love it, but it's a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I kind of with my well, kind of with my blogs and my views on this. I'm not. I kind of sometimes often feel I've just re- reached a point where. I've kind of, this is my ideas, these are my views, and I'm not quite sure what else I've got in the locker kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, but that's like, it's so helpful, right? Because you're, in, at least, you know, from what I'm reading, you've read your viewers and everything, it's like, no, you're adding those tools in the tool chest, right? When we're 50 years from now trying to, or 10 years from now, or five years from now, when the, the, the market goes down 90% and crypto gets destroyed because everybody and their mother is in it, and there's a description that I think uh, we had right about, uh, you know, once uh, Twitter kind of does the 
uh, lightning connections and like, well, who else are you going to reach? Yeah. Where's your, where's your total market, total addressable market? Like that's it. You're, you're done. And so you get this yeah. like big peak, you get a big crash and then a washout. And so I'm hoping in the washout, people like you, your data that you're kind of putting out there, the connections you're trying to make will help ease the pain of the transition that should have already happened in 2008 or 2010. Yeah. White paper was released. <laughs> I mean, it, it's also possible that kind of so Bitcoin when it came into existence, kind of 2008, 2009. So it's what it's been around 12, 13 years. I mean, yeah, it is also yeah. possible it could it could something could come along that, that's better, and it could kind of disappear um, as quick quicker than it's kind of come into this world. And because if you consider yeah. kind of go um, yeah yeah. So I was say because if you consider like, Nash referred to ideal money as a media or a medium. So it's quite conceivable that a more efficient media might come along. So, for example, when I was working in the city of London, the, the, the motto of the London Stock Exchange is my word is my bond. And I kind of got the impression or get the impression when reading some of the stuff that even Satoshi said that he was aware that there are the, maybe the most efficient form of media is just to take somebody at their word. And that all of these discussions around technology and evolve technological evolution they they might just become you know too complicated to understand i don't know what you think to that no for for sure i i completely agree with that i mean explain imagine trying to explain i mean we're on this call trying to explain bitcoin and we're i think that we're really good at it and i mean everybody else is sort of like i mean it's a very hard thing to define that this is good money or what good money actually equals because mm. for let's call it our country Right for seventy percent of the population, it's perfect. There's nothing wrong with fiat. Like legitimately, it's fine. And mm. before, before this crisis, and really leading up to it, for thirty years, the entire world was short dollars. Meaning, the entire world, it was in any time of crisis, there was a need for dollars. Uh, and so, mm. there's this underlying uh, historical need. That just doesn't gonna go. It's not gonna go away anytime soon, and uh, it's just, it's just, there's just no way. So I'm just trying to figure out once this bubble blows over and we become more serious about this discussion, um, or at least in general, like the general public. public. What, what do you think's in a bubble, Adam? Kind of just crypto generally, or yeah, like well, remember, like you, you, you know, we pointed out before regarding the um, uh, that discussion about the '99 tech bubble. Again, yeah, I remember Broadcom.com. I remember Pets.com. Uh, Beanie Baby Bubble. You know? Exactly. And so we all can be under a shared delusion. Um, for was, um, I, had, I know people who were buying tech stock right at the peak of the bubble around that time on T20s. So you buy now and you settle within 20 days. And they were doing yeah. that right at the peak. And... Um, one of them got bankrupted through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, well that, uh, that's just an anecdote. That's an anecdote, yeah. but it kind of, it kind of, that just reminded me of what what you're talking about. There, just reminded me of that. And there's that giant liquidity um, that disappears during that you know time period where this transition happens, and there's no, just like Bitcoin in March, right? It went down to three thousand mm. bucks. Like there's zero liquidity. Mm. So mm. you're gonna you're gonna see that always. That's always gonna exist, and people are gonna kind of talk trash in the crypto world because they're always like, oh, this is our my seventh time being in a seventy percent drawdown. And that's mm. true, but now the amount of people in the space is going to hit that 
you know, 100 million mark or whatever it's going to end up being. And then the, when the total addressable market peaks out, you're going to have this big illiquidity moment where everybody just freaks out. Um, mm-hmm. So, so my, my, my thought I, was always kind of this was that we were going to, we were in a 99 style bubble. It's going to wash out. If you were in the space, you were going to be made fun of, right? Cause you were mm-hmm. made fun of if you were in pets.com in 2002, mm-hmm. like you were like, you're an yeah, idiot. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Recognizing mm-hmm. by the way, that pets.com sold like three years ago for a billion, like whatever it was, it was just early. Yeah. It was wrong. Mm-hmm. Cause it was early. It wasn't wrong. It was, it was, it was right, but it was, it was wrong cause it was early. And so Bitcoin may be, the the right winner, right? But just like Amazon went down ninety percent post ninety nine, Amazon mm. still turned out to be the winner. But you lost all of your money, and unless you're an insane mm. person, you sold out, right? Nobody mm. loses ninety percent and then goes, no, no, I'm going to stick around. This is going to be fine. No, no, you get out. And so mm. when everything goes down ninety percent, there's going to be a big ass washout. And I think and I hope that more reasonable things step forward. I hope that this is the venture capital burning money, broadcom.com, digging holes in the ground, laying fiber, and all those guys went bankrupt. And all those guys went bankrupt. And so my mm. assumption is we're going to have the same issue. We're going to have all these venture capital money just burn. Uh, we, you know, we saw it with kind of all this stuff. Um, my, my assumption is we're going to get a big, big, giant washout. We're going to be made fun of for even being in this space. Um, and then five years from then, it'll be the world. It will obviously Bitcoin is the rules of the world. Like obviously that would have happened, but but mm-hmm. I think it's a little ways until we get there. Okay. And I yes. hope because there's a little ways till we get there, we can fix it. <laughs> we can, but I, I don't think we can. Well, I mean, all, all I really do with um, Bitcoin is I just buy it and then or well, have bought it and just I just leave it, and I'm not really too. I don't really get involved in anything else. I have been in the past, but and that's my view on it. That I it's a relatively a chance to offer up uh, some final thoughts because we've been going for about yeah. an hour and a half, and mm. who knows where Jowl is? Uh, Mike had to cook, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, l- let's wrap it up. Well, We're hanging out. Well, Johnny, I appreciate you. Uh you being on this call this is really awesome for me i think that you really helped the space and i really like appreciate sort of what you put out um and the more you do the better better for i think for everybody so thank you for that okay thanks yeah it's not been nice speaking uh, with you adam and uh, michael and everyone else don't know where giles gone um yeah so thanks for the opportunity it's the first time i've done one of these and um, also thanks for kind of just generally publishing my work michael so you know, so we'll see what happens. No, it's great to, to get you on. And obviously, you know, we talked earlier this week for a little while, so I'd already, uh, you know, kick some ideas around with you guys to hear your voice. And um, it, it's nice to be able to bring new voices into uh, into the audio space, you know, so that people can actually hear you and um, humanize you. I think, I think voice humanizes more than... Um, a lot of other things when it's like a talking head mm. i think that we're watching and being overwhelmed with those sorts of things so it's it's good uh yeah. obviously you know people know you and um now they get to experience you at a vocal pace and inside of a dialogue and um, you know it's not just these um lofty ideas in text you become a real person so that's great. I appreciate it. Thank you. All good. All good. That's great, then. 
Well, uh, hey, you know what? Another Sunday in the books. It's been it's been a good one. I'm glad to to spend some time with you guys and talk. Uh, you know, we will do this again before too long. I appreciate everybody taking the time, and uh, we'll 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 talk again soon. Cool. That's Thanks, great. Man. Thanks. Appreciate everybody. Cheers, Michael. Cheers, guys. Cheers.